Welcome back to QAV TK, episode 518, recorded 2.48pm. We started this on uh, Tuesday, the 10th of May, 2022. Blood on the streets in the market today. Even Taylor's texting me from LA going, what the hell's going on? It's my portfolio's down by 4% today. And I'm like, yeah, do the interest rates and Ukraine. He goes, oh, no, it's got to be more. It's got to be something going on. What's happening? It's crazy out there. How do you feel, TK? You had to, are you panicking? No, I feel better than the stock market is today, though, feeling. <laughs> it's business as usual. This happens, but it never ceases to amaze me, right? So everyone's known interest rates are going to rise that uh, there's been a war in Ukraine for a while now, that China's shutting down Shanghai to beat COVID. But, you know, it's like someone rolled a pebble down a hill and by the time it gets to the bottom, it's a boulder and everyone's panicking and fear follows greed, right? So people are worried about the gains they've made and they try and take it off the table and it just becomes a snowball. And that's the market, that's it's human behaviour, but uh, luckily we have a system to deal with it. Not the good kind of Warren Buffett snowball. This is the bad kind of snowball. (laughs) Yeah, but uh, I was just saying to you off air, like it makes me so happy to see QAV club members on our various forums over the last uh, couple of weeks uh, just go, oh, yeah, look at that. Uh, Market's going crazy. Watch your alerts. Stay alert. Watch your alerts, but nobody panic. Uh, We have rules to follow. We just follow the rules. Like it's great to see. QAV club members saying that, not us saying that. People have got it on board and they're, yeah, you just don't panic, follow the rules. It'll be choppy for a while. It'll turn around, you know. It's just business as usual, as you say. Or it won't and we'll have cash to spend when it does turn around. So, Yeah, eventually it'll turn around, right? Yeah, exactly. It may not be soon. It may be soon. We don't have to worry about it because, as you said last week, the system will tell us what to do. It'll tell us when to go to cash. It'll tell us when to buy. Today, it's very hard to find anything to buy. All I could find was I had to sell a few stocks and all I could find to buy was QBE. Everything else was not just a Josephine, but a lot of them just get smacked around, big drops. And I'm not immune to it either. And uh I've been selling shares. I sold out of Blue Scope Steel last week. I sold out of Aurelia Metals. They both went below either Rule 1 lines for me or I think Rule 1 lines in both those cases. And then bought GRR and GMA. GRR has been smacked around. I've had to sell that today. And I bought QBE because it was the only large ADT stock on the buy list that wasn't a Josephine. And I sold Rio today as well. I got Rule 1 out of that. So that's just sitting in cash at the moment waiting for something else to buy. So that's just the way it works. That's how the system handles this kind of uh, environment. Volatility, yeah. Happens to us all. I did want to talk about GRR. I've made a mistake. It's my bad. I think I made a mistake buying GRR and it did go down almost as soon as I bought it. So I was rule one out of it within 24 hours. And looking back, I sort of thought, oh, what, what did I do wrong? And might be worthwhile adding something to the Bible that uh, if the underlying commodity, which in GRR's case is iron ore, is a Josephine, then don't buy it because I think that's what's happened with GRR. It had a terrific run. It's been going up really well. And then, of course, the day I bought it, it turned down. But iron ore is a Josephine, so that should have, I should have picked up on that before I bought. Oh, okay. Underlying commodity, Josephine rule. Evolving the QAV it is. Mm, evolving QAV it is. 
Uh, we'll talk more about commodities in a second, but I just wanted to point out somebody, or Taylor actually said to me this morning from LA, what the hell is X64? All of a sudden, I've got something called X64 in my portfolio. Where did that come from? And then I saw in our Slack channel, somebody mentioned that MML has changed its code to X64. I'm not sure if that's because it's they're one of the X-Men now or if, uh, I don't know, X64 sounds like a, an Intel chip from back in the day or something. I haven't heard that one, so I can't provide any other information. Although I do know that MML was our worst performing stock for the week. It was down 11%. Because everyone's going, what the hell is X64? Probably. Yeah, probably. Is that like the Commodore 64? It's gone back to being a 64 computer. I don't know. Good old days. Commodore. So I think aluminium is a sell. I want to thank Duncan for pointing this out again on the Slack channel this morning. Aluminium has become a sell, I think, Tony. Yeah, I had a look. I think it's close. I, when I looked this morning, it wasn't quite over. I better check it now again. I'm using Stock Doctor to check this. No, it's definitely crossed today. It's gone down even further. So definitely right. It's a sell. So that impacts, I think, South 32, S32, if you own that. Uh, What did we decide with CAA? Did we decide CAA is sort of not really an aluminium stock? stock? It's not, but it is. I mean, our thesis was that just like the bank's, Doing better when interest rates are rising. CAA should do better when aluminium's rising and do worse when it sell when it falls. So we should sell it, I think. But that, it wasn't this this thing about them selling like uh, third party products. No, they sell their own products. They're a manufacturer. They're not. What we found out was that they're in a buyer of aluminium and then seller of aluminium products after they put the aluminium through its their manufacturing processes. But definitely, the share prices track the aluminium rise. And I expect it will therefore track the aluminium fall. So I'll be selling CAA. And then Rio also has some aluminium exposure, but I'm not sure how much of their revenues it is. Do you know? Wouldn't be significant. It's mainly iron ore. Okay. What are we going to do with iron ore this time, Tony? We had to fudge it late last year. What do you think of iron ore at the moment? Are we fudging it again? It's getting close, isn't it? I don't have a definitive answer. I had the same thought this morning. So you're going to have to leave that one with me. Because it, um, you know, for those people who are new, even though the actual sell line for iron ore is quite low, if we look at a five-year monthly chart, it went up very quickly from sort of May 2020 through to June 21. And then as it came down, Tony decided we were going to fudge the sell line on that because it had risen so much, like from 80 bucks through to uh, 230 bucks over a period of about a year. And then it dropped down to 85 bucks. Then it went back up to 156. Now it's down to about 127. So it's been very volatile itself, iron ore. Yeah, so my thesis on the iron ore graph last time was that uh, the, the cycle for iron ore was quite sharp and it was I was using a two or three year graph to fudge it. So I'll, I'll have to take that one offline and have a look at a, a graph that's not a five year graph, maybe a two or three year graph and check out whether it's a sell or not. Okay. In the last week, obviously, the the RBA lifted interest rates. You sent us a new master sheet with the new rate, and you've made it uh, easier to edit. Yeah, so it's just now an input cell, which changes all the formulas in that column. And uh, the rate was sitting at uh, 0.05% for a long time, and now it's up to 0.35%. Yeah, not much, really. 
And that's what I mean. Like everyone's known interest rates are rising. They go up by not even 1%. They go up by a portion of 1% and the market just runs around with their hair on fire. <laughs> Pretty crazy. Yeah. And look, I know why, because the um, it's more to do with the US and people are saying that uh, how does the Fed get inflation under control? Because if you're lifting interest rates when, in, when inflation's rising, that can be a recipe for a recession. And that's what people are starting to fear in the US now. But uh, again, it's a prediction and who knows what will happen. Oh, I was thinking over the weekend, it just seems like over the last couple of years, we had all of these economists saying it's a brand new world, interest rates won't have to go up again, low interest rates are going to be with us forever, we're going to MMT our way through things and it's okay, we don't have to worry about inflation out of MMT. Did I dream all that or, or did that happen? Not at all, you didn't dream all that. And I think what we'll start to see now is that some economists will come out and say, well, MMT only works in the low interest rate environment. But if you have inflation, it doesn't work. And, and of course, printing money has to be inflationary at some stage. So, uh, yeah. But I thought they'd figured out the loophole. and didn't no. <laughs> We've been saying for years it's fairy dust. That's the loophole. It's magic dust at the RBA. <laughs> magic dust. All right, let me ask you this question. I bought a share yesterday, OEL. Have to sell it today already, but <laughs> the buy price was two cents. I'm thinking, what's the rule one price on a share you buy for two cents? 90% of two cents, so 0.18%. So you actually just track it down to decimal places? Yeah, Stock Doctor will give you the price in three decimal places so you can see it. So the share price drops by 0.02 of a cent. Yeah, which is probably going to be one transaction, right? <laughs> and it was. And this is how yeah. today dropped down to like 1.135 or something. 0.0135. That's a big drop. I know, right? But it's like fractions of a cent. I was thinking yesterday, should I even buy this? Like at, at two cents, like it's, uh, but could have gone up to five cents. You don't know, right? Well, exactly. I mean, there could be some big leverage there. I don't know this company very well. I mean, there's some, some investors have said over the years, you shouldn't buy things when they're down at that low, when they're down in the penny sort of, uh, it's called penny dreadful end of the market, but when it's the, it's the, the penny stock end of the market. And the reason that they say that, and there is some theory behind it, is because chances are this company has had to issue so many shares to keep afloat that uh, they keep adding a decimal point in front of the, the share price. That's going to be a problem one day when they, when they physically can't issue any more shares and add another decimal point. But I tend to ignore that. I, I, if it's a good company, it's a good company regardless of what the share price is. And I would buy it if, uh, if it had the ADT, which this one probably doesn't. But anyway. Not for you, but it was big enough for my portfolio. All right. What else have you got on your news items of the week, TK? Yeah, I just wanted to let people know. I know some people out there buy listed investment companies, including Alex, who's typing up this transcript. She owns Australian Foundation Investment. That also became a sell according to the three-point trend line today. So if any listener is out there listening to this, they should check their LICs as well as their, their stocks because uh, the market is, is turning down. I wanted to just relay, had a conversation with a, a friend of mine. I won't tell the audience who, long-term friend. He became a QAV subscriber and didn't tell me, So, um, but he did out himself when we were talking recently. I'm just going to relay what he said to me. He said he'd um, had a, sell, a superannuation portfolio for a long time, worked big corporate, rolled it over, 
and was paying four or five thousand dollars a year to their financial advisory firm, and in return they were giving him three or four changes to the portfolio per year. So he thought that was a bit of a a bit wrong. Could work if you can get it. Well, yeah, if you're a financial advisor charging four grand and making three stock tips a year. And uh, so he took 10% and put it into QAV and is loving it, really happy with the result, really happy with the process and just feeling comfortable that he can manage things for himself, whether it's QAV or a blend of QAV or whatever he does in the future. And uh, I don't think his financial advice is going to get four or five grand a year going forward out of him. So I'm still just floored that people who are highly intelligent, have had professional careers, are still enthralled to the financial management industry, the high fees, do nothing planning network, which is out there. It just um, you know, it makes me even more motivated to get the QAV message out to as many people as possible. Yeah, but it's like servicing your own car. Like for people who haven't been investors their entire lives, I mean, I, I think for a lot of us, you look at it and it's just like, oh, Christ, like where do I even start? I, I wouldn't, you know, it's, it's, it just seems too overwhelming to get your head around. Mm-hmm. I did love, uh, I saw this thing, an article a guy wrote said he took his 12-year-old son along to the Berkshire Hathaway shareholders meeting this week. And um, they had a long drive to get there. It was like a 10-hour drive to get there. He was like, yeah, I figured, you know, this is the last chance my son will ever get probably to see Warren and Charlie on stage together. It's like going to see the Rolling Stones before (laughs) Michael Keith dies or something like that. And he was sort of listing what uh, the, the author was listing, what he thought the most important lessons were that he wanted his son to learn from Warren and Charlie. And one of the ones that he had, I think it was the first one, was a quote from Buffett, which is the best investment you'll ever make is in yourself. That's how I think of QAV, right? This is right. an investment in yourself because you're learning how to do this thing that you'll be able to do for the rest of your life, teach your kids how to do, teach your grandkids how to do. It really is an investment in yourself. I think that should be the new motto on our website is Buffett quote, best investment you'll ever make. Because that's really what this is, right? It, ta- it takes some time and effort and investment to learn how to do this stuff. I, I always tell people when they're brand new and they email me, I say it's like, it's like learning a language, right? It's going to take a year, a couple of years of, of hard work to become fluent in QAV. But once, you've, once you know how to speak QAV, man, the parties you will get invited to. <laughs> hello. hello. And then people will be like, are you the value investor? Oh, we need a secret handshake, don't we? Or a secret signal. Like, what's the one the kids put on their photos with the OK symbol backwards or something? <laughs> no, that, that's white supremacy. Oh, you don't okay. want to be doing that. No, that all right. <laughs> Devil's horns in. <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think redheads are allowed to do white supremacy. You must have your own red supremacy, uh, even secreter handshake. Okay. But people do it because they don't know what else to do, I think. Like, it's, you know, it's like you, you go to a financial advisor, like you go to a heart surgeon, a heart specialist. You don't know what's going on. Yeah, no, exactly. But I think people are largely being fleeced by these people, largely. There's some good ones out there, but anyway. All right. Well, that's all we got. QAV portfolio is down for the week. Not a surprise there. Down 2.68% for the last seven days, but the market's down 4.4%. And that was, I guess, not including today, 10th of May. So it was up to the 11th, uh, the 9th of May. Biggest movers up was NHC, New Hope Coal, was up 12%. And MML, which is now X64, apparently, is down 11%. So a few ups and downs there. We'll have to sell MML, maybe. Uh, I don't know. Maybe. We'll see. I'm not sure what the real one is on that. Didn't come up in my alerts today, though, so it's probably all right. And you're going to do a pull pork for us today, TK? 
Yeah, I am. A little bit of a strange one. This was a request from a couple of weeks ago from one of our listeners. They wanted me to have a look at Pendle, PDL, uh, which I'll do. It's not on the buy list. I think it has been in the past, but uh, it's not there at the moment. But I'll do it anyway, just to illustrate that the process works for companies which aren't on the buy list and we can work out, I guess, why they're not. Pendle, it's been around for a while. It was known as BT Investment, and people may have heard of them. It was started back in 1969 uh, as a joint venture between Bankers Trust in the US and Ord Manette, a stockbroker in Australia. And back when the fund management industry was fairly nascent in Australia, eventually it was uh, bought out by Westpac and they made it part of their wealth management offering. And uh, it was then floated and separated from Westpac and Westpac have been selling down their, their stake in Pendle ever since. It is a, a large fund manager. It manages funds both locally and internationally and all sorts of funds, income funds, growth funds, local, overseas, et cetera, et cetera. Interestingly, the name Pendle comes from the inversion of the first bit of business they ever had, which was the Dalgetty Pension Fund. So the Pen comes from the pension fund and the Dal comes from Dalgetty. So it's Pendale, Dalgetty Pension backwards. I'm going to go through the numbers now. It's a large ADT stock. So there's 8.7 million available each day, which is uh, on average, which is good. I'm going to use a share price of 497, which was the share price on the weekend. That was less than its consensus target. And it's a recent consensus target update. So it gets a a point for that. This is a high yielding stock. It's yielding 8.25%, which is really good. So it gets a point for that. And Stock Doctor rates it strong and steady from a financial health perspective. So a couple of points there. But it does, uh, at this stage anyway, lose out on its prop cap, which is currently Uh, 7.7 times and a P of 9.8. So one of the companies where the the cash flow is flowing through to the bottom line, which is good, but it's above our threshold at the moment. Not not the whole heap above it. So you may well come back onto the buy list during this recent downturn fairly soon. But at the share price it's at, it is above IV1 and IV2. And IV2 is in that a big difference to IV1, which um, made me dive a little bit further. And it does, this company does have a negative EPS growth forecast. So something to watch out for there. And that, that means the growth uh, divided by PE, which is one of our measures, is negative. And so it scores a minus one for that. Directors only hold 3%, which is not bad, but um, doesn't meet our threshold. So no score there. Book plus 30% just scrapes in. Book plus 30% on net equity per share plus 30% comes in at $5.02. And the share price was $4.97 when I did this analysis. So it's it's borderline, but it comes in. The PE currently is the lowest for the last uh, three years. So it gets a, a score of two there. But the equity did have a down six months um, over the last three years. So it's not increasing overall, even though for the other five halves it was. So eventually that will roll off and we will probably see that score there, but not yet. All in all, quality score is only 33% for this company, so 5 out of 15, and the QAV score is 0.04. So not one to buy now, but if the price drops further, it will probably come back onto our screens. So just to be clear, this is PDL, not PTL. It is PDL, Pendle Group. Pendle, not Pental. Yes, in your notes, you sent me, you said you're doing the pulled pork on PTL. Oh, sorry. No, it's PDL. PDL. All right. You sure you did the right one? I did. <laughs> I'm looking at it. Stock doctor now. I did. You sure that's the one that somebody <laughs> asked for? Yeah. Okay. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm just searching through my notes to see if anyone has asked for PDL. I don't have anyone asking for PDL, so but I'll trust you. Well, if it's Pentel, I can do it next week. That's PDL. <laughs> PDL. Pendel. All right. Should we move on to Q&A, TK? Yes. Yes, please. All right, thanks. This first one's from Jeff. He uh, is asking a question from the Financial Review. I think this would have been last week. What does this mean? Cash settled total return swap. He saw this in a story about Mike Cannon-Brooks, my old friend, trying to acquire AGL so he can shut it down. It's like Rupert Murdoch buying dot-com startups in uh, the year 2000 in order to shut them down. Cash settled total return swap. Does that mean anything to you, Tony? Yeah, I've heard it before. Mike Cannon-Brooks isn't trying to buy AGL to shut it down. He's trying to stop a demerger from going ahead which would separate the retail part of the business from the coal-fired power plant part of the business. So he wants to keep them together. and So he can shut down the coal part of the business though, right? Yeah, shut down the coal plants earlier. But essentially this, uh, this swap is um, it's leverage. So it's a bit like when you're shorting a, a company and you can go to an institution and rent the shares and then sell them and then hand them back once they drop. So what Mike Cannon-Brooks has done is he's teamed up with a banker to find an insto who will rent him, I think it's about 10% of the, of the shares. He'll pay a, a fee, probably a very hefty fee for that. And there are some conditions on the swap. So he'll get the voting rights, he'll get the, any dividends that are payable, but he has to pay a fee and he has to, I think he has to guarantee the downside. So if the shares drop, he has to make good on the company that lent them to him. And uh, he has to settle all that in cash. So he's made an agreement to do that. So I would think, even though it's not obvious, I would think there's a whole series of options going on so that he's uh, managing his downside risk. So he's probably put, put options into the market, again, at, at a fairly hefty fee. So that if the share price drops, he has the ability to sell the shares at a higher price and he's paying the rental for the swap. So yeah, I mean, the bank would love this. They're charging a huge fee for putting the deal together and then charging fees on all the options to hold it together. Mike Cannon-Brooks is probably pretty happy too because he'll get what he wants and he's rich enough to be able to afford it. But, but that's what it is. It's essentially a, a share rental deal to allow him to vote against the demerger in AGL. Relatively cheaply control a large percentage of stock. Yeah. I mean, I was listening to Stephen Main on the Money Cafe podcast even the, today when I was out walking. And he's rallying or railing against uh, this kind of thing going on, saying it doesn't happen overseas. It's been used before by people like Kerry Stokes to um, take over Borrell. They'll suddenly pop up with a a large interest and you're meant to declare that you're a shareholder after 5%, but now Mike Cannon-Brooks has a 10% holding. And when the Borrell takeover was going on, Stokes didn't reveal his share interests uh, through derivatives until he had a 10% stake. So. I understand the argument. It's in favour of transparency in the market. You know who's controlling what, but generally it only occurs in these kinds of uh, situations when things are in play. That's Stephen Main's only complaint. I mean, does he give any other complaints around what MCB's trying to do? No, he didn't. Well, he's uh, certainly interesting to watch, MCB. He's a man of big dreams and big visions and uh, doesn't mind taking a few risks. Yeah, he's kind of the Elon Musk of Australia now, isn't he? <laughs> I wasn't going to make that analogy, but yeah, yeah, he certainly, in that sense, he definitely is. Have you watched that Netflix documentary, Return to Space, about uh, Elon Musk and his, his space flights? No. I mean, I was watching it and I just, every time I see him, I just think Bond villain. 
It's <laughs> <laughs> kind of this nerdy guy in a black suit with a black tie, kind of awkward, a bit autistic with grandiose plans, you know, to get off Earth and into Mars. I'm just like Bond villain every time I see him. So that uh, Don't Look Up, remember the rich guy in Don't Look Up? Yeah, yeah. It's probably... Was that Musk? No, I think it was based on a combination of Musk and Zuckerberg and maybe... Bezos. Gates, you know, yeah. Guy extremely sort of introverted, yeah, whatever. asperger kind of rich dude. All right, hope that helps, Jeff. Sue asks, interest rates being topical and have never been an investor during a time of increasing interest rates, I was curious to check ASX performance last major run of interest rate hikes. Our last journey of interest rate rises was between 2002 and 2007 when the cash rate went from about $4.25 to $6.25. Pleasingly, the All Lords basically doubled during this period just before the global financial crisis. This gave me confidence of the uncertainty of interest rate rises on the ASX, but also got me curious about Tony's experience during the 2002 to 2007 time what he was doing, and if there was any QAV data or trends during this time. A focus on this period would be a really interesting upcoming episode, certainly would balm any anxiety around this sort of environment for those without skin in a rate-rising market. I know the rules don't change, but I'd be fascinated in Tony's experience, highs, lows, warts and all, during that time and any lessons he learned that would help us over what may be an era of interest rate rises. Many thanks, Sue. Yes, it's a, it was a really good period to invest, Sue, coming off the dot-com bubble bursting, 2002, and also to the Gulf War II happened uh, around that time as well. So uh, I guess the, the first similarity between that time and now is oil. So oil went up during that period, at least for the start of it. Last time it was Iraq, this time it's Ukraine that's um, suffering, but uh, it certainly has similarities. The other thing I guess that was, is worth understanding is that the rising interest rates can actually create a rising market as well, sort of paradoxically. And certainly it, there was a late stage bubble in the share market in sort of 18 months leading up to the GFC. The market was definitely overvalued and we kind of all knew it, but um, the returns were fantastic. I mean, the last, I think, 2007, it was something like 30 or 40% return. It was, it was quite good. So that happens prior to a, a downturn. There was a, a housing bubble going on. And there was lots of flipping in the market, particularly in the US, but also here. And it was uh, something called mortgage bonds, which were introduced in the market, which did cause our housing and apartment market to inflate. So the way that worked was that, uh, again, you didn't have to have a deposit for, to buy an apartment, you could take out a mortgage bond. And uh, that meant that um, you know, somebody else was guaranteeing that, that uh, you would settle on the transaction, even though you didn't have a deposit. And uh, so people were taking out mortgage bonds, buying an apartment off the plan, and then waiting for it to be built. And by the time it was built, it was worth a lot more. And so they would just sell it day one and uh, continue the progress. And of course, you know, when the market did turn down, when the GFC happened, all those mortgage bondholders uh, were toast and um, they suddenly had negative equity when the, when the buildings were completed. You know, that did have flow through effects into the market as well. And it was interesting watching the GFC unfold. I mean, no one saw it coming, despite what the big short sort of says. They, they, they saw it coming, but within months of it occurring, not long term saw it coming. But it was interesting watching it unfold. And you slowly found out the reasons after the fact, you know, the, the ninja loans that they were 
offering in the US for no income, no job applicants. I think they were calling them jingle loans as well. So if you didn't like the mortgage, you could just hand the keys back to the house and walk away. You were never kept on the hook for any sort of negative equity in the house when it sold. CFD suddenly became something which everyone knew about, which we didn't know about before. I've spoken before about the, the ratings companies and how they completely dropped the ball during this period. There were bank runs going on that you know, what was going to happen? Were the banks going to go broke? There was the Northern Rock went broke in the UK and the Lehman Brothers went broke in the States. And then government stepped in and, and tried to stop that, but uh, didn't really know what was going to happen. Governments in Australia came out and guaranteed your bank deposits, even though they charge you <laughs> charge the banks to do that. So it flew back into um, the lower return for deposits. But anyway, that was all going on. So it was a really interesting time in the world. I don't remember interest rates being that big a part of the whole deal, even though they were, they were rising. I mean, that's the other sort of context I put on today's market is that for the majority of my investing career and the majority of my life, interest rates have never been zero or near zero or even 3%. They've been probably averaging around 7 or 8% for a home loan. I've already said before too that my first home loan was at 15.9%. So everything still exists when interest rates are high, right? So that's why I think it's, it's kind of funny that the market's having tantrums now when interest rates have gone up 0.25%. It's a, it's a funny time. But um, no, we'll all survive. Companies will adapt. People will adapt. Look, I'm not saying it's, there won't be issues. I mean, people have been become over-leveraged perhaps. And if the property market does dry up and, and starts to come back and people have negative equity in their, their loan, in their, in their houses, they won't be able to draw down and take a holiday. I won't be able to draw down and buy a car. And that will have flow-through effects on the economy as well. So there will be issues, but you know, I'm pretty sure we'll get through them. And from a QAV perspective, um, I'm guessing here, nothing changes? No, not at all. No, I mean, I, I did some research recently on whether the, the VIX index should be used as some kind of uh, red flag before we buy. But um, the VIX is the volatility index. So it's, uh, I think it's on the Chicago board of commodities. It's basically a way of trying to use volatility in the market to rate to whether people are in fear mode or greed mode. So when the VIX index is up, it it's, means the market's volatile and there's a lot of fear. And when it's down, it's happy days and clear sailing. But I haven't been able to get a, a fine point on it enough to use it in our buys and sells. So I don't think I will be. And that's the end of the free episode of QAV for this week. If you're a new listener, I just should let you know how this works. So we have a free episode every week, runs for about half an hour. We have a premium episode also every week. It goes for another 30 to 60 minutes, depending on how many questions we get. It's where Tony answers questions from our club members. If you want to check out the premium episodes and all the other benefits of being a QAV club member, which is access to the checklist and and the Bible and uh, the private Facebook groups and the other comms channels that we have, invites to the dinners, Zoom calls, etc., etc., uh, sign up for the two-week free trial and check out all that stuff out. You can do that at qavpodcast.com.au. Look for the um, free trial button there. And if you uh, like the idea of value investing QAV style, but don't feel like you have the time or resources to uh, you know, learn how to do QAV for yourself, think about signing up for QAV Lite. That's our relatively new service where we send you the stock tips every week. And then we also monitor those stocks in a portfolio. And if they become a sell, 
we email our QAV Lite members and tell them that it's time to sell that stock and what to replace it with. Um, check that out too. Um, it's sort of a low effort way of doing QAV. Still better if you know how to do it yourself, I think, because Tony could get hit by a bus and then where are you? But, uh, you know, while he's not, <laughs> we can do this. So check that out, qavpodcast.com.au slash light, L-I-G-H-T. Um, that's it. Um, if you don't want to sign up to any of those, just keep listening to the free episodes. And if you have any questions, uh, shoot me an email. you find that on our website too. All right, have a great week and good luck with your investing. The QAV podcast is a production of Spacecraft Publishing Proprietary Limited, authorised representative of AFSL 520442, AFS representative number 00129217. Please don't make any investment decisions based solely on listening to this podcast. This is presented as general advice only, not personal financial advice. We don't know your personal financial circumstances. Please see a financial planner before making any investing decisions. Thank you.